Hi everyone, welcome to The Human Show, proudly presented and supported by worldpodcast.com. Here we explore the relationships between people, technology and business. Join us on this journey where we interview anthropologists, other researchers and industry people from all over the world, from India to Kenya, US, Europe, to right back here in New Zealand. Hi friends, in today's episode we are talking to Wendy Gunn, a researcher in the field of design anthropology whose written work and practices have contributed to the foundation of what we now perceive as design anthropology. We talked to Wendy about her experience of shaping design anthropology and the ways collaborative research practices evolve. How does she reconcile the designer, architect and anthropologist that dwell within her? In what ways has the cross-disciplinary collaboration given Wendy strength to navigate design processes and practices? We inquire about the challenges and difficulties that this navigation sometimes entails. We reflect on research as a future-making practice and on ways of being a researcher within that space. We close with a stimulating question and research case. How do you get astronauts to do anthropological research? We hope you enjoy it. Hi friends, we are here today with Wendy Gunn. Hi Wendy. Hi, hi Karina. It's good to um, find out a bit more about the human show. It's uh, amazing sort of uh, enterprise and also the amount of people that you've interviewed. It's quite impressive actually. Thank you, Wendy. And, and you know, uh, from my end, uh, I still remember the first time I googled uh, design anthropology, <laughs> and, uh, knowing nothing about it. And then your name just and the, your book uh, that you curated uh, was at the top of my uh, Amazon recommended list. Um, and, and that was my introduction into design anthropology. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm, it feels it feels really nice to be able to sit here today interviewing you about your experience um, when just a few years back I was uh, reading your curated work and, and just being impressed with uh, how you shape your concepts around this field. So uh, yeah, but before we go into that context, um, I would like you if possible to tell you know me and our listeners a bit about your professional path. Um, how did design anthropology came to be throughout your path. Um, yeah, curious about that. Okay, um, I suppose actually I'll start from around about nine, between 1990 and 94. Uh, I was actually an architectural design studio uh, leader for first, second and B art students um, working at the Department of Architecture at the University of Strathclyde in Scotland. Um, but in the summer of 94, I was introduced to uh, Professor Tim Ingold um, mm. through a, colli- a colleague uh, while conducting research on human perception of extreme environments at uh, the Scott Polar Research Institute in Cambridge. I started working with Tim as a master's student in 1995, um, effect- effectively in social anthropology at the University of uh, Manchester, and my dissertation at that point was on walking movement and perception. My PhD um, actually was again in social anthropology from the Department of Social Anthropology at the University of Manchester. And um, I focused on the social environmental impact of incorporating uh, technology into an architectural design process, specifically computer-aided design technology at that point. Um, 
studying at the University of Manchester, I was actually fortunate to work with some amazing anthropologists, obviously Tim Ingold, but yeah. also, also Sarah Green and Penelope mm -hmm. at the time. And it really was an exciting time to be at the department because it was such a young, energetic staff with vibrant grouping of PhD students focusing on different aspects of socio-technical relations. And it was very exciting to be with that, within that environment in, in the sense of, um, although um, I was, in a sense, uh, classically trained by Tim, but another half. Um, we were looking at very contemporary issues. So in particular, there was a small group of students, PhD students, who at the time were being supervised by Tim Ingold and met on a regular basis to study what can be learned through practice and how what is learned is the same or different from sets of instructions written through um, digital means or in written form. It really was an incredible seminar whereby we learned how to tie knots, make pots, fly kites, and really it was a fascinating way to um, be looking at some major fundamental questions with respect to social technical relations um, in anthropology. But interestingly, some of the students went on to work uh, with companies such as Google, etc. Um, and are now working in sort of leading roles in terms of user experience design. Um, my main research interest at the time included human perception, skill and creativity, tool use and cognition, learning and knowledge transformation. So from 2002 to 2005, I also conducted three years postdoctoral research. Um, at that point, it was focusing on the interrelations between human perception, skill and creativity, working at the Duncan of Georgeson School of Art and Design um, in Scotland, in Dundee, and the Department of Anthropology, University of Aberdeen. After completing uh, my postdoctoral research, um, I took up a, a position as Associate Professor of Design Anthropology at Mads Clausen Institute at the University of Southern Denmark. Uh, I was fortunate enough again to work with an amazing professor um, and I was part of the user-centered design group under the leadership of um, Professor Jakob Boer. Um, he's a leading sort of um, uh, leading professor in terms of user-centered design um, in, in, in Denmark but also in Scandinavia and internationally has an uh, amazing reputation in that area. Um, but then uh, of course um, I continued working uh, as part of the group and um, my role was um, as a senior researcher but also a research supervisor for um, masters and PhD students. Um, we were at the time a very small group but we also formulated a, um, as part of our research activity um, a, a master of science um, in IT product design. Um, and, and I supervise students, um, master's uh, students within that. Um, I, I, I would say that uh, the combination of, of all of these experiences gave me the sort of um, direction in terms of beginning to build importantly. What I found was important was to build a research agenda within what was an, an emerging field of design anthropology. At the time, there, there was other anthropologists um, who were also contributing, and we worked um, quite um, intensely with 
private and public partners on live projects. Um, while I was writing and publishing, um, I was actually involved in uh, live projects looking at um, more user-oriented approaches to improving um, existing technology, but also looking at the development of new technology uh, across different sectors. So um, I, I think that actually this was sort of um, actually important in terms of, uh, as part of that, um, our research group was, uh, they were quite successful in securing funding uh, to, uh, national funding to develop a um, Sunibor Participate Innovation Research Centre, which was based in Sunibor, but it was both involved in national and international um, participate innovation and user-oriented design projects involving both public and private um, partners. So actually, I think that one of the things that was very interesting about that period, as I mentioned, was that that activity where I was working across both as a, a active researcher within a, um, a design team, but also as a research supervisor. So I moved between different roles. But importantly, um, my role wasn't to uh, basically um, just observe. I had to participate as a, as a as an active member of design teams. That's how I was able to actually have kind of an insight knowledge was actually through participating within processes of designing itself. Yeah. Uh, so I think that one of the things that um, when we when I look back at my experience with Spire, I, I, I think that it was an incredible time also to make sense of the various um, interdisciplinary practices or with multidisciplinary teams and you could say that um, some of these practices that emerged through coming together of different disciplines could be considered as transdisciplinary points um, and I think it, it depended on the composite of the team and also the projects that we were working on. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll go into a bit more detail about the projects itself at a later point but I yeah. think in 2017, um, I, I actually um, I, I left Mass Person Institute and also Spire Centre, and I was actually um, given a sabbatical um, as as part of my um, research. I went to RMIT in Australia, and mm -hmm. I went to work with Sarah Pink. And at mm -hmm. that point, she was actually the director of the Digital Ethnography Research Centre which is um, in Melbourne and still existing, but Sarah Pink was actually the director of the centre at that point. Um, so, um, as, and during, during that period, I also um, was lucky enough to, to, to work with a number of great researchers at IMIT. Mm -hmm. um, I was um, also interested in the different kind of methodological positionings um, they had with respect to their research in terms of health and well-being and how they were involving um, design anthropology within that. And so I was lucky enough to also um, during that time to receive a senior research fellowship 
uh, working uh, at um, the Department of Architecture, the Faculty of Engineering at KU Leuven University, working with, um, uh, again, two wonderful professors. I've been actually very lucky in my career. Professor Anne Highland and Dirk Sarnens. Um, Anne has done amazing work in sort of more inclusive design research, mm. and Dirk has done a lot of work with indoor climate and building physics. So I was working between civil engineering but also um, within architecture. Yeah. Can I can I interject and ask you a, a question, Wendy? Yes. Because I I find it I find it you make it sound so easy. You know the the fluidity through which you kind of navigate this these various uh, uh, spaces of uh, disciplinarity. You know, and and you've mentioned Ingold and Sarah, and I love it because I think for me both of them represent this kind of figures of. You know, you're inside this type of world of anthropology or the prescriptive world to a certain extent of academic anthropology um, with the different discourses and, and kind of a different way of approaching the discipline. Um, and I think I, I don't even know if, if Tim would even consider himself an anthropologist. So I, um, I, I wonder where does that come from, this kind of fluidity through which you seem to uh, explore um, these different spaces of disciplinarity? Um, I think actually, um, I, I think that's one of the things that I'm known for is that I'm, I, I think that's one of my skills now mm. that I, I, I have a tendency to actually, um, as part of the research process is actually mm -hmm. across different disciplines, sectors and as part, as an integral part of my research inquiry. And um, I, I think in some ways that um, I do so because I see them as inherently uh, interconnected. So I don't necessarily see um, that there is barriers between these, although that in, as obviously during working um, within these spaces, I realize there is. But, yeah. Yeah, but I, I, I don't necessarily see that as something that... Um, actually prevents yeah. me doing it. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I'm trying to get, is it nurture or is it nature? Because I, I can also see it within myself, right? Because the barriers, they only exist, I think, in, in, in the mind. And, and once you start practicing, uh, once you put yourself in spaces where this um, separation is not there because you just have to work on a, on a common objective or on a common question, then you're, you, you come with your baggage and you put it all there and then you start figuring things out and then, then the barriers just fall apart. Uh, but, and I, I would imagine for people that don't, 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 don't get to practice with this, um, with this way of working, um, it could be there are that, 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 that's more difficult. Uh, but then there's also people that have maybe a natural innate uh, curiosity or, allergy towards sitting in one little uh, box so I, I'm a little bit with this very longly winded question trying to figure out is it is it one or the other is it a combination or both in your case I, I actually think that um, inherently uh, my research is very much interested in the, the whole idea of collaborative research mm -hmm. the interdisciplinarity in that respect um, uh, my research inquiry is 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 to, to exist on two levels, mm. and so therefore, by 
kind of engaging in these practices and actually doing research itself. Wow, that's and pretty so, cool. Uh, I think it's it's what I've been trained to do. And as I said at the beginning of the interview, I think it's important to remember my initial kind of um, ambition of what mm. interested me in this emerging field of uh, design anthropology was really about building a research agenda within it. Mm. And that's very specific. Um, and I, I, I think everyone has got different roles and it's a emerging field. So therefore, um, the, the position I played was really, uh, that's what I was focused on, was on building a research agenda. Yeah. I really like um, that, right? So I, I, I'm not saying that it's the only thing that people can do. And that, yeah. Um, well, yeah. So, so anyway, I think that, yes, in, in terms of, the work that I did, for example, at KU Leuven University, I, th I think, again, that was a collaboration between um, an architect, um, a building physics engineer, and myself. I was working um, in, in terms as, as an anthropologist, but on the other side of it, I was also interested in aspects of designing, and designing became the way that we could collaborate together. Um, so... I think from from yeah from that point I I actually became in terms of thinking about actually design itself and what kind of design was I really interested in I mean I had spent many years in Scandinavia since 2005 and um, mm -hmm. I had been um, in uh, research teams where a high proportion of people, uh, individuals that were influenced methodologically from either participate design or um, mm. S science technology study or you, you could have um, more user oriented design. So they had different or slightly differing methodological positions. But actually, um, as time went on, actually, um, I became quite interested in the whole area of transition design. Um, and um, I, had, I had heard about what was happening um, basically at Carnegie Mellon University and um, how the School of Design um, had been doing some amazing work in this area of transition design. How would you um, define so I, transition I, design? How would you define I it? it? I, I would define it as actually um, trying to, I suppose, navigate both design processes and practices in a way that would help um, um, shift um, both at a paradigmatic level in terms of paradigms, in terms of um, um, outdated modes of working and also thinking in terms of relating to um, uh, ongoing changes within mm -hmm. the environment in which we live. And I think these are it has a, an important role to play, and I, I think again, um, it is in its um, its early stages. Um, mm. But I think that it's a fascinating area, and, and I've recently actually been working with one of my former colleagues um, from Spire, who's a professor at Oxford University in engineering, and we've been looking at um, the whole area of, of transition design, mm. um, but. 
but I, I, I think that that publication will be coming out soon. So the reason why I mentioned that was because that um, it kind of actually maybe leads me into um, actually um, I took up a position at in Yangtze University in China um, in September last year. And in terms of uh, one of the, the kind of policies that um, the Chinese government have been looking at again with respect to transition is um, the, the transition between made in China to created in China. Of course, um, that was something that interested me because it was obviously kind of looking at transition, but also it, it it takes on a whole different um, notion of what it means to make things. And um, I was particularly interested in um, the notion of future textiles and how textiles effectively um, can be a way in which we can look at uh, the future of transitions um, involving uh, new forms of technology. Um, and that um, as as part of that process, I always also last year um, was appointed uh, as an adjunct professor in design at the Emerging Technologies uh, uh, Lab in Monash University, Australia. Yeah. Again, again, that was actually working with uh, Sarah, uh, Sarah Pink at, at now she's the director of. The Emerging Technologies Lab. I think I was, my, my research profile is in the field of design anthropology, and that's evident, I think, with the publications, the, the kind of research projects, the grants that I've been involved on, but also um, my teaching experience. And I think it's important to, to mention that I've also had a tight relation between um, teaching and research. They've, they've always went hand in hand, and a, I, I would say that um, I've also um, been interested in the capacity to build research communities across um, different sectors, and that's something that I think, um, as we discussed earlier, I think that's something that I, I've become skilled at. But my strength actually um, is actually instigating collaboration across disciplines and different sectors. <laughs> yeah. So, and then I think that's um, and uh, and my research projects emphasise basically how design processes and anthropological practices yes. can be brought together in a productive collaboration um, within the domain of technology, but also organisational settings. And I address key challenges of conducting interdisciplinary research, working with or within um, multidisciplinary teams on the design of emerging and improvement of existing technologies. Mm. So you could say since 1996, I've worked to define frameworks yeah. for moving collaborative research inquiry into architectural engineering and design processes and practices mm. in order to integrate anthropological methodologies and methods within interdisciplinary, sometimes yeah. Um, at points, you would say to engage partners from both the public yeah. and private sector, and importantly, to generate tools for engagement to communicate the results of collaborative inquiry to um, a diversity 
Wendy, you mentioned earlier, you made a choice of verb, which is like um, instigate, like instigate um, uh, this this multi-cross-disciplinary collaboration. So uh, I'm very interested in, in this choice of verb. Um, uh, and I, I would imagine, you know, uh, you instigate something that is not naturally, let's say, uh, in collaboration already. But I would imagine that within yourself, that kind of reconciliation must have already happened, right? So I wanted to ask you, how do you reconcile then within yourself, you know, being the designer, being an architect, being an anthropologist? Uh, how, how, do you, how does that work for you personally? One of the things that's important is actually the way that um, I've been involved in a number of different research projects, actually. Mm. Um, and it's provided me with I suppose, experience to navigate between several research traditions. And, and it also makes me really, I suppose, suited for cross-disciplinary environments. So as a result of my academic background in social anthropology, and I think that's important as well, previous and ongoing research in social technical design, development and implementation across design, architecture and engineering, I think... Um, I do, I, I'm able to demonstrate some form of social impact. And for example, um, this is evident in past uh, research projects. And, and, and for example, I think when we consider the, the, the project, um, you know, when I was working um, at Mass Klaus and also at Spire, um, I would say that I gained expertise of conducting international collaborative research focusing on design, anthropology and participant innovation um, with both private and public sector partners towards improvement, as we've said before, design processes and practices. But in parallel, I had experience of conducting research working as a, a research supervisor within um, multidisciplinary and transdisciplinary design-led collaborative research. Um, but this involved embrace, embracing design from a set of complementary methods and methodologies, uh, development and assessment of curriculum, for example, multidisciplinary groupings of international uh, graduate and doctoral students, and, and also um, um, designing research tools and methods for involving a broader grouping of people's within research and design processes. So research itself is not something which is um, um, what's all distant from the actual uh, level of inquiry. It's also part of um, the more critical uh, endeavour. And, and so I, I think that if I consider one particular project like indoor quality, uh, sorry, indoor climate and quality of life, uh, which involved Danfoss heating, Velux, Isabor, Windermaster, Milan. Um, the aim was to study how people uh, relate to indoor climate in homes, offices and schools. And um, the research team's objective was to innovate the system of building components and, and, and controls. Um, so actually, part of my role there was actually to make sense of um, actually, what was learned within these collaborative processes and in collaboration with another researcher, we essentially traced um, the, the learning of what was 
um, possible for uh, um, external partners within these uh, academic collaborative projects and how they could take that learning back into the company if they could at all. Mm. Um, and so I, I think it was we were actually sort of beginning um, yeah, to, do, to, to consider actually the notion of uh, design anthropology and what it is actually. Mm. Um, I argued, and you probably have seen with the first book in design anthropology, that the, that the area cuts across a wide range of fields from industrial design yeah. through human movement studies, ecological psychology to social cultural anthropology. And from an anthropological perspective, it, it resonated with areas of interest at, a partic- at that particular time. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, the understanding of skilled practice, Anthropology of the senses and the aesthetics of the everyday. The field is, is I, th- I think, one of it is still a vibrant area of contemporary contemporary research. But it links, I would say, anthropology with engineering, architecture, landscape architecture, and product design. Um, and in in that respect, I think that um, it's continuing to. Um, Continuing to emerge as a as a, a field, um, and a, as I I think I'll discuss later. I think yeah. it's important to make a distinction there between. Um, I, don't, I don't necessarily see design anthropology as a discipline as well. mm-hmm. How do you see it though? How how do you place design anthropology in you know in relation to this wider discipline of anthropology and yeah, how do you see that? Anthropology is a discipline, um, and its many subfields uh, mm-hmm. itself is undergoing transformation. And there is a move towards, for example, more collaborative inquiry and the need for anthropologists who have skills and capacities to work with, to, from, of, against, and on, as uh, the anthropologist Nigel, Nigel Rappaport has, has said towards an ongoing future for the discipline. But collaboration, however, raises actually many methodological and ethical issues. As a mode of research inquiry, collaboration does not suit every researcher, and there seems or there appears to um, be still some resistance in some anthropology departments to anthropologists carrying out research collaboratively. But that said, I suppose collaborative research practices are changing the meaning of research and anthropology. There is a growing need for involving the teaching of collaborative approaches within anthropology education um, connected to, for example, design anthropology in order to broaden anthropology itself. An issue here is developing methods to trace where and when anthropological concepts are generative and actually have some effect during collaborative anthropological design processes. But such collaborative processes have the potential to extend beyond standard anthropological methodologies and methods. Mm-hmm. So if we say design anthropology offers the potential for realigning research processes with anthropology. This potential is possible by by the way inquiry in design anthropology is grounded in ongoing engagement with a diversity of peoples who would normally be excluded from research processes in experimental and collaborative processes of future making. 
Um, if you go back to to uh, the emerging technologies or the emerging um, technologies research lab, future making is central to design anthropology. And the notion of future here, however, is not concerned with projection or progress models. Instead, the future is considered a future past and a future present. So design anthropology is an opportunity for anthropology to explore and critically engage in processes of design and innovation using collaborative, future-orientated, reflexive and experimental approaches. Mm-hmm. So I think actually in terms of, yeah, I, th- I think that's that's a, a response to your question. Yeah. Well, wh- what are your, your thoughts on these new kind of build environments that are emerging now and um, these preeminent effects that the current design processes have on people? Um, I suppose movement of collaborative research. I'm going to use an example of now the work of Hey Leuven, but movement of collaborative research by means of combining qualitative and quantitative methodologies and methods into architectural and environmental engineering design remains one of the biggest challenges for finding out the role played by architecture and engineering design in determining, for example, um, indoor air quality in hospitals. That's my own example. Recent findings from multidisciplinary research on um, the microbiome are important for architecture and engineering design. However, the question of how to move research findings from this research into architecture and environmental engineering design processing practices is actually crucial um, in terms to improve uh, indoor quality, indoor air quality in hospitals. But also um, the design of indoor air quality um, as, as part of um, or an integral part of a, an architectural brief. Mm-hmm. Um, a lack of movement may indicate outdated paradigms in both architecture and engineering design that do not have the capacity to act on research findings and therefore they remain dependent upon taking on board findings that fit within existing paradigms. So learning from successes and failures of architecture and engineering design process and practices requires an understanding of how people are affected uh, I say affected by outputs of design processes and practice. It also requires a better understanding of how information produced by researchers concerning these effects can be made sense of by others involved within making future design moves. Hmm. Yeah. You know, your research has really focused on these notions of sustainability and intervention and, and the impact they have on design processes, future making practices. What, what types of insi- insights can you, can you share for, for this type uh, of research and how do you think they, they, these notions affected your own uh, future making practices? Um, I said, I sort of in a more theoretical level, um, while at RMIT, I looked at, uh, Karen Barrett's concepts of interaction and agentile realism in relation to sensorial knowledge practices and effects. Mm. Um, I came to realize that practices of sustainable future making go beyond future trends and projections. Mm. Instead, um, you would say interaction allow for participants to be actively involved as part of their own practice of learning and research. Importantly, research itself becomes a practice of future making integral 
to these practices of learning and research is a sharing of uh, sensory worlds during participatory processes rather than um, mental representations alone. So while moving collaborative research inquiry into design processes and practices of future making, I argue it's necessary to build relations between um, movements of designing and movements of, of ongoing interaction. So recent research um, actually concerned with um, an anthropological inquiry by design towards improving indoor air quality within hospital settings. Um, we're concerned with the affects and effects of architectural engineering design processes and future meeting practices on patients, hospital staff and visitors who engage with hospital settings. This was underpinned by a longer term aim to understand how people's sensory experience and perceptual acuity can be involved during design processes and future making practices. I hear it, I draw actually upon Kathleen Stewart's notion of lift effects and atmospheric attunements to consider patients, staff and visitors sensory experience of indoor air quality in hospitals. Um, I would say that um, in terms of the, the, the notion of um, in intervention, um, I, I had a problem with this notion of uh, or how we consider it, or even in anthropology, the notion of prevention. So, so challenging a more problem solution oriented technical understanding as a basis for design interventions um, to architects and um, Arlandis and Lieberman um, actually in 2013 proposed the notion of intervention versus intervention. Um, and their work has been inspiring and, and um, they actually have, have done quite a lot of work in studying actually what that actually means in terms of architectural design process. Um, but anyway, the, the thing that I, I would like to actually come back to is you, the second point of your, your question about how do you think um, those notions affected your own future making practices. Um, I think, I mean, essentially, it really requires rethinking and relations with, you say, nature, material, materials, and people within emerging relationships. At the same time, we have to find ways of designing conceptual frameworks, both generational concepts and frameworks of analysis to inform different kinds of design processes and future making practices. Uh, responding to emergent life conditions. Um, I suppose my recent experience of working in China during the, uh, the pandemic made me aware of the challenges of conducting long-term field research in hospitals. In, in this regard, uh, I've been involved in, in actually writing a proposal for a fascinating research project recently which involves an archaeological survey of uh, the International Space Station. Um, and two aspects of the project which um, I, I have influenced actually my future practices as such mm. um, as a researcher is how do you conduct field work without actually being in situ? Uh, <laughs> okay. And um, how can I, as a researcher, make my own research practices more sustainable? Mm. For example, in the International Space Station project, obviously, I cannot carry out research 
at the International Space Station. Um, um, I cannot um, be on um, a, a space mission. Um, so therefore, the question arises, how do you engage, for example, astronauts to carry out anthropological field work during their in-flight missions? Um, and how can you reuse uh, ex existing data and archival resources? Yeah, and how do you do that? How do you get uh, the astronauts to do anthropological research? Um, I think uh, the, the proposal is that um, so you actually have an, a number of uh, number of various tasks that they will be um, undertaking over a period of if it's a three-year mission, um, and you prepare various. Um, uh, I suppose where they will have to take uh, logs of the changing nature of how they're inter interacting with various material aspects of their environment over a period of time, or whether or not you can actually um, correlate their, um, I suppose, their individual um, responses to changes with the indoor environmental quality and correlate that with other um, other measurements within the actual capsule itself. Yeah. So again, the, the that particular project is um, multidisciplinary, and so therefore you have the capacity within a multidisciplinary project to actually have um, different forms of data that can actually be brought together in terms of actually correlating and both quantitative yeah. and materials. Yeah. Wendy, I wanted to ask you another question. Do you remember, let's say, a project that has really kind of phased you, you know, like that, that you say, oh, this is really difficult to conceptualize or methodology for it. Like you, you move so fluidly to speaking about, you know, difficulties of doing ethnography in this environment in China, to the space station, to working across multidisciplinary uh, teams. It just feels a little bit like there's nothing that you won't kind of approach with a researcher mindset. So I'm curious if you have any stories of, of struggles or stories where you say, wow, I, I just have no idea how to approach this. Well, I actually think that one of the things that... Uh, you talked about being easy and fluidity. Um, I think in some ways, actually, um, navigating across disciplines and across different sectors is really not easy at all. <laughs> and um, actually, it's, it's extremely uh, difficult, actually. Um, but it's something that I have been constantly doing over a period of time. But one of the things that I, I, I do find the difficulties and challenges of actually conducting research in, in these areas, um, but the thing that actually is probably for me um, the most difficult is also sort of engaging with another layer that's always in the background. And, mm. and if you're working within a university setting, um, then you have to deal with... Um, changes in political situations at a higher level. Mm. And actually, um, sometimes I think that um, 
where you're negotiating the difficulties of individual projects or actually negotiating uh, relations across um, different peoples, you also have to deal with actually trying to negotiate your research within um, a higher management uh, uh, structure within a university. And I actually think that's one of the the, the challenges that I think is, is a, a wider struggle mm-hmm. that I, I'm sure I'm not alone in, in actually raising that issue, um, specifically at the moment in terms of um, the working conditions uh, for researchers within universities, I think is increasingly becoming uh, difficult. Yeah. That is a very good bridge to my um, to my question. My next question: the, uh, You developed the first international PhD course in design anthropology, uh, which is practiced over 60 students uh, globally. How did you make it work? How did you manage? And and what did you learn from this process? And how do you see this as, as something that could help the discipline evolving? I I am with you with this difficulty of, you know, the bureaucracy and the uh, politics in the academic space. And I I personally also um, experience it from a much smaller scale. But uh, looking into what you've done, particularly with this PhD course, it's so incredibly inspiring that it's actually happened. So uh, <laughs> I'm really curious to, to learn how and what made it happen. Karina, I actually think, yes, I agree with you. I think uh, what's fascinating about the, the course is that it's continuing, uh, continuing to be inspirational and um, even in social media, the amount of um, people that have downloaded the course is is quite stunning, actually. Yeah. And and in, in that respect, I, I, I do think it's fascinating, especially at the moment when you have uh, a quite a lot of students all over the world that actually are working from home. And I've seen an increased um, uh, downloading of the course actually globally since the lockdown began actually yeah. in China. Can um, you tell so, us uh, maybe a little bit of an intro into what it is for those of our listeners that are not familiar with it? Um, I, I think that... Um, the, the course was actually uh, developed between two universities um, and uh, what was very exciting about the course is that it attracted not only 60 students globally, but the students were actually from um, um, uh, many, many different dis- disciplines and uh, we effectively had um, two um, different um Venues in terms of we had the first part of the course in um, at Mas Clausen Institute working. Um, actually, we, we worked with um, the researchers as part of the ongoing analysis of spire materials. Um, uh, sorry, that was the second part. And the first part was actually based at the University of Aberdeen within the Department of Social Anthropology. Um, so we we actually had a, I suppose, um, just a two five-day um, intense workshops working with um, different forms of, um, I suppose, research materials that were actually um, uh, 
coming from various research projects that the, the researchers in both institutions were working with. Um, and we also had a large team of invited uh, researchers who gave lectures connected to the various research issues concerning. In some ways, um, the, the, the PhD course was very much... Um, Actually, in its own right, was was actually helping to formulate uh, um, an aspect of what design anthropology is and what it could be. And every contribution that was um, was actually in the making in terms of people were actually contributing to it. Um, I think there was a very strong dynamic, and I, I think the students continued um, to keep contact after. Uh, the course actually completed. Um, but I think the important aspect of it, it gave, um, uh, I suppose, uh, PhDs from different disciplines an opportunity to work with um, ongoing research projects as part of a team. Um, and it wasn't necessarily directed to their own research, but they became um, team members working with live research projects. Yeah. And of course, the, in a theoretical level, their um, results of their group uh, collaboration in terms of collaborative research was also um, contributing to uh, the defining of what this notion of design anthropology was. But I think one of the insights that um, perhaps from the process that I think for me, um, there was a, a lot of researchers involved. I was one of the the, the people that really um, actually, I suppose, designed the course in terms of bringing uh, the curriculum to to um, to de develop the curriculum, and also um, I think also um, uh, working in collaboration with again Jared Donovan, who is a designer. Um, uh, I think one of the the, the the main insights that we we realised um, was that design anthropology uh, is interpreted in different ways depending on the methodological positioning of the researcher or the designer. And um, I suppose it was 10 years ago, but we developed uh, a number of acronyms that were based upon our direct experience of working on collaborative research projects um, at the time, but also working with each of these individual PhD students. And we began to realise that there was kind of three main ways in which, um, at that time, um, the notion of design anthropology was being conceptualised. And, um, and, 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 and in some ways, that is still, these acronyms are still resonating with different ways design anthropology is practised today, today. For example... Uh, you can think about you have a small d and you have a large a. The theoretical contribution is for anthropology rather than design. And design follows the lead of anthropology in terms of adopting theoretical understandings or becoming the subject of anthropological study. Um, then you could have a big, a big d and a small a. Fieldwork is in the service of design. Framing originates from problem-orientated approaches rather than engagement with people. Anthropology is put in the service of design. For example, ethnographic studies may be used for establishing design requirements. 
And then uh, Big D, Big A. Disciplines of design and anthropology are engaged in a convergence of efforts, each learning from each other. DA, both capitals, is a shift from informing design to reframing social, cultural and environmental relations in both design and anthropology. Okay, uh, Wendy, I think we have reached the end of our discussion. Um, maybe before we close it off, I wanted to ask you, what, what exciting new things are you working on right now? Like from our listeners that are interested in, in maybe uh, something that is coming, that will be coming out soon, what, what should they direct their attention towards? Uh, I've, I've just finished uh, an article for uh, the... Oxford um, Research Encyclopedia of Anthropology, um, and in, uh, it's an online uh, project by Oxford University Press, and I've uh, just finished, and it's in production, uh, an article on design anthropology in Europe, and that includes uh, a section about how the discipline is evolving, and um, I've, I've tried to actually um, focus on key concepts in design and anthropology. And uh, um, the second uh, publication that I wanted to mention is actually a publication that I've been working on, as I mentioned before, um, um, by uh, myself and uh, uh, Christian Clausen. And um, we've actually... Uh, finished the chapter and the book is in pu publication. It is called uh, Staging Participant Innovation as Transition Design. Um, and the book will actually be published in the next month or so. These are the two, uh, yeah, two main public publications that I'd like to kind of finish with. No, thank you so much, Wendy. It was, it was a pleasure having you with us today. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you for listening, everyone. Follow us on our social media channels and look at the show notes for links to our speaker's work. Join us next time for more interesting conversations.